Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for this time. And Lord, I know we're only scratching the surface. We have seen the rise and fall of movements and revolutions, counter-revolutions, and Lord, you have started so many things, and the world does not even know it. Lord, we pray you would give us a glimpse into what's happening in our world today to see and understand, God, more and more of what you're up to and where you want us to be part of, what you want us to be a part of. Please bless us especially with the Holy Spirit. It's our desire in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The name of this presentation is called Ellen White and Food Documentaries. There is so much information here. It's going to be very difficult for you to uh, attempt to memorize any of this or even write it down because I'm going to go very fast. However, I won't go very fast to the point where you just can't, at least can't get the source down. But at the same time, there's so much I could have put here. So if you feel like uh, it's a little incomplete, I totally understand. I feel the same way. I know this one presentation is not going to do justice to this. But we'll do as best as we can, and we'll ask the Holy Spirit to bless us as we continue. Uh, name of this uh, seminar again is called Ellen White and Food Documentaries. I looked up the word revolution, and I was checking out various definitions of the word revolution. These are some of the definitions. An overthrow or repudiation and, and the thorough replacement of established government or political system by the people governed. Here's a sociological view. A radical and pervasive change in society and the social structure, especially one made suddenly and often accompanied by violence. Compare social evolution. Number three, a sudden and complete or marked change in something. The present revolution in church architecture. Very interesting. Here's number four. A procedure or course as if in a circuit back to a, uh, as if in a circuit back to a starting point. Number five, I thought was very interesting, a single turn of this kind. And what we're going to be discovering is that there is actually today, in our world today, uh, many health revolutions that have taken place. But the question is, how did many of these health revolutions actually start? Well, what's interesting, as we progress in this presentation, so you're going to be seeing some very interesting things. We are living in a momentous time right now with lifestyle diseases running rampant, with big pharmacies monopolizing. And by the way, when you go to just to on the corner, you know what you'll see that's very interesting? You'll see a Walgreens and you'll see a CVS, CV, CVS or you'll see some other um, sort of pharmaceutical place. And you go in there and they're not making money off their candy bars or the little trinkets they're selling. The big money is found when you go to the back of the place and you see all peop these people lined up to get their what? Drugs. And the reason why that's so interesting is because where I live, you actually have, I actually have a Walgreens and a CVS right next to each other. And guess what? There's so much business that they don't actually have to compete with one another. They actually set up right next to each other. So you see what's happening in our world today. An overextended healthcare system, which obviously is going to be changing in some very interesting ways. People are searching for answers elsewhere. Revolutions have, or has begun. That's actually even correct grammar, but revolution has begun. A revolution has begun. It's very interesting, when you take a look at what's happening on media, you begin to see there's a lot of health fads that have been just really, really coming up, and a lot of people have become very excited about it. Oftentimes, I'll be seeing on Facebook a lot of people into these 5Ks or marathons now. A lot of people are interested in running or jogging, right? You look and a lot of people are all about juicing. People are juicing today, right? You know, I'm going on a 10-day juice fast. Pray for me. You hear things like that all the time, right? Or people say, I'm going raw for a month. So all these things taking place, people are interested in health today. A lot of people are going on diets. Even the gyms have actually increased in um, 
you can say in just uh, how many people are getting gym memberships, actually sticking with the memberships as well, which is very interesting. So a lot of people are interested in health because they're starting to recognize that the medical community is unable to actually help them with many of the issues. So health is extremely important to a lot of people right now. In fact, what's also a craze is a lot of food documentaries have come out over the course of the last few years, and many of these food documentaries have actually started health revolutions. I've actually watched that movie right there called Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead, and it got me interested in juicing. So I juiced for three and a half days. I couldn't do anything past that, okay? I also watched Food, Inc. Some of you guys have seen Food, Inc. or Forks Over Knives. And some of these ones, these are some of the more famous ones, but there is a lot of independent filmmakers right now who are exposing these health revolutions that are happening and common sense things that are actually helping a lot of people. In fact, what we're going to be talking about today is the root of some of these food documentaries. Like I said, there's so much information to share that I'm not going to be able to just uh, put up all the quotations, but I did just sort of condense things in a way for you to see and understand how powerful the message of health that we as Seventh-day Adventists actually have. You take a good look in our world today and you begin to understand that there is somebody who was right there at the core, at the root of these health revolutions. Her name was Ellen G. White. And this woman, who in 1863 received her first health vision and continued to write thousands of pages of health, has actually led directly or indirectly to many of these modern day health movements. That's right, these today's modern day health movements, directly or indirectly, have been caused by the ministry, I repeat again, by the ministry of Ellen G. White. All right. Look what Ellen White says in First Selected Messages right here. Abundant light has been given to our people in these last days. Whether or not my life is spared, my writings will continue, constantly speak, and their work will go forward as long as time shall last. A lot of people say, wait a minute, is some major prophet going to come onto the scene? When I read this, ladies and gentlemen, I begin to discover that her writings are going to go all the way till the end of time. Do I believe in Joel chapter 2 there's going to be people going to have prophet, prophetic vision and dreams? Yes, absolutely. But as far as the major prophet, ladies and gentlemen, we're not even examining and reading what we have. Why would God send us more? We have these writings, and their work will go forward as long as time shall last. My writings are kept on file in the office, and even though I should not live, these words that, I have, been given to, that have been given to me by the Lord will still have life and will speak to the people. Can you say amen to that? Almost 100 years later, or past about 100 years, those writings have really transformed the Seventh-day Adventist movement. It's really interesting, those books that actually appear not just in Adventist pastors' libraries, but pastors all across America, 40 and under, that's what there was a, a, a survey that was done by Barna, they discovered that Ellen White was actually considered a, just a uh, wonderful source of reading and devotional experience. But these books, ladies and gentlemen, have planted seeds all over the world, and these seeds have led to great changes, great movements, great revolutions today. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, verse to 17 says something remarkable. Jesus is speaking about prophets. He said, beware of false what? Prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their what? 
fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs or thistles? Even so, every tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. When Jesus began to lay down the line of demarcation, you could say between a false prophet and a genuine prophet, he really just got right down and he says, look, by their fruits you shall know them. In other words, the life that they live and the impact that they have upon people around them will be a very clear indicator if they're genuine. And when you take a good look at the ministry of Ellen G. White, you begin to see some very remarkable things about her ministry. Anybody know who this guy is? Paul Harvey. He was actually considered one of the most trusted journalists of all time. He died in 2009. He actually never became a Seventh-day Adventist, but he was attending attending a Seventh-day Adventist church. But he wrote this about Ellen G. White. 1960, Paul Harvey, American Broadcasting Company news commentator and United Features syndicated columnist, wrote, perhaps we should reread what she has taught. The oil, as eaten in the olive, is far preferable to animal oil or fat. Today we know about cholesterol. She knew fine flour, white bread, is lacking in nutrient, nutritive elements to be found in bread made from whole wheat. She wrote, do not eat largely of salt. Now we know we should keep the sodium intake low. We have come to accept the wisdom of such advice so completely that it is difficult for us to realize how revolutionary her theories were almost a century ago. She urged pure air, sunlight, abstemious, I can't even say that word right, rest and exercise. She wrote, tobacco is a slow, insidious, but most malignant poison. It is all the most dangerous because its effects are slow and at first hardly perceptible. Ellen White was indeed ahead of her time. Are there additional recommendations which this remarkable woman urged upon us, which we have so far ignored? Speaking about the times which she lived, Paul Harvey adds, remember, this was in the days when doctors were still bloodletting and performing surgery with unwashed hands. This is very interesting. This was an an era of medical ignorance bordering on barbarism. In fact, if you missed the first presentation I did on atheism and the Sabbath, I highly recommend you get that, and you're going to discover some interesting information about the repression of medical science during the Dark Ages because of the removal of the Sabbath. Very interesting. The Oxford Encyclopedia of Food and Drink in America, originally published in September 2004, covers the significant inventions and social movements that have shaped the way Americans view, prepare, and consume food and drink. Entries range across historical periods and the trends that characterize them, from the extravagant feasts of the Gilded Age to the diet fads of the 90s. This thoroughly updated new edition captures the shifting American perspective on food and ensures that this title is both the most authoritative and the most current reference work on the American cuisine. Now, what's very interesting, when you take a good look at this, this encyclopedia, these volumes, you begin to discover some very inter- interesting information about one gentleman, and this gentleman's name is Paul Harvey Kellogg. Now look what she says about Paul Harvey Kellogg. No single individual, to what the, the book says, no single individual influenced American eating habits during the early 20th century more than Dr. John Harvey Kellogg. In fact, watch what else is said. John Harvey Kellogg deserves more than any other person to be called the father of natural health. In fact, there are a lot of non-Adventist books, a lot of non-Adventist sources that really look up to the uh, sort of the influence that John Harvey Kellogg had on his time period. He actually has been influential in a lot of these modern-day health movements. They call him the father of natural health. 
Well, Dr. John Harvey Kellogg had a sort of philosophy that he used to practice when he was still in the church. And I believe he probably still carried some of those same principles all the way up to the time of his death, even though he was disfellowship. David M. Paulson, MD, about the year 1913, reported a conversation that he had with Dr. John Harvey Kellogg a number of years earlier. Introductory to the following statement. It should be mentioned that in the late 19th century, John Harvey Kellogg, MD, was recognized as a world leader in several areas of medical practice. Dr. Kellogg asked me in New York City 21 years ago if I knew how it was that the Battle Creek Sanitarium was able to keep five years ahead of the medical profession. I do not know. He, then he told me. He said when a new thing is brought out in the medical world, he knew from his knowledge of the spirit of prophecy, the writings of Ellen G. White, whether it belonged in our system or not, if it did, he instantly adopted it and advertised it while the rest of doctors were slowly feeling their way. And when they finally adopted it, he had five years to start on them. On the other hand, when the medical profession were swept off their feet by some new fad, if it did not fit the light had we, we had received, he simply did not touch it. When the doctors finally discovered their mistake, they wonder how it came that Dr. Kellogg did not get caught. Here's a man who's called the father of natural health. Here's a man who actually revolutionized American breakfast, ladies and gentlemen, still to this day, who lived by a certain philosophy that helped develop his ministry early on, and it was that whenever something he heard about came to him, he would check it up and match it to see if it was in the spirit of prophecy, and if it wasn't, he would remove it. And by that principle, he was able to save five years ahead of his time. Five years. This is what is so remarkable, because you begin to see the one who was actually behind the natural health movement. Clive M. McKay. Anybody heard of Clive McKay? Very interesting. You're going to hear about him in just a minute. He was an American biochemist, nutritionist, and gerontologist, and professor of animal husbandry at Cornell University from 1927 to 1963. This individual was very influential. He actually discovered from caloric intake, or how much food you're putting in your mouth, how much calories, you can actually save lives. He was actually able to double the lives of rats. Rats, because he reduced their caloric intake, changed some things in their diet. He was somebody who was really experimenting with health. This individual was actually cutting-edge stuff during his time when a lot of people were just saying, no, 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 you're completely off when you get animal protein, animal fats, and all these things into your diet. He was saying some remarkable, some things that were considered heretical by many of the scientists and medical professionals during his time. In fact, he wrote this book called The Cornell Bread Book. Anybody ever heard of Cornell Bread? He revolutionized bread making, by the way, because of the ingredients he put into bread. It's very interesting. But this individual came across the writings of Ellen G. White. And he talks about Ellen White. In the first place, her basic concepts about the relation between diet and health have been verified in an unusual decree, uh, degree by scientific advances of the past decades. In the second place, everyone who attempts to teach nutrition can hardly conceive of a leadership such as that of Mrs. White that was able to induce a substantial number of people to improve their diet. In the third place, one can only speculate about the large number of sufferers during the past century who have had improved health if they had accepted the teachings of Mrs. White. Finally, one can wonder how to make her teachings more widely known. In spite of the fact that the works of Miss White were written long before the advent of modern scientific nutrition, now watch what he says, no overall guide is available today. 
no better, excuse me, <laughs> no better overall guide is available today. Here is somebody who has a PhD who has nothing to do with Adventism. When he was coming across her writings, he was so blown away by that, and he says, this woman is years ahead of her time. Now you're saying to yourself, well, what's the big deal about Clive McKay? Well, you're going to understand he had one last graduate student, one student who studied underneath him. And this individual had learned several of the teachings and philosophies that Clive McKay really imbibed into his own food philosophy because of the writings of Ellen White. In fact, he has written so much more about Ellen White. I didn't put the quotations up there. And he talks about her so, in so many different ways and how she has helped him. It was this individual, T. Colin Campbell. This was his last graduate student, the last student who studied underneath him. This is the individual who wrote the book. Have you ever heard of the China study? So you begin to see something very remarkable, that this individual was actually his, he was actually inspired, uh, he actually inspired T. Colin Campbell to begin study in this area. And he completed his MS in nutrition and biochemistry at Cornell in 1958, where he studied under Clive McKay, known for his research on nutrition and aging, and his PhD in nutrition, biochemistry, and microbiology in 1961, also at Cornell. And it was through his understanding and through the teachings of Clive McKay that he began to spend time and years and money and influence and resources to come across with one of the greatest nutritional guides of all time, the China study. He says this, vegans and vegetarians, and you can, by the way, the fingerprints of spirit of prophecy is all over this book. The vegans and vegetarians typically elect uh, to follow the diet for health reasons. In his book called The China Study, American biochemist T. Colin Campbell wrote, by any number of measures, America's health is failing. We spend more per capita on health care than any other society in the world, and yet two-thirds of Americans are overweight. Over 15 million Americans have diabetes, a number that has been rapid, rising rapidly. In fact, he says this also. Excuse me. Part of his China study books has influenced many people, including, do you guys know who this individual is? Bill Clinton. You guys know Bill Clinton went on a vegetarian diet? He went vegan. The reason why he went vegan was because of his, the influence of the China study. In fact, I was looking at different quotes he was writing. He talks about the China study over and over and over again. Former American President Bill Clinton became a vocal supporter of the China study. 2010, after years of living with heart disease, he undertook the diet, eating uh, legumes, vegetables, fruit, and a protein shake every morning, effectively living as a vegan. With a short period, he dropped 24 pounds, returning to his college weight. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, was constantly on the news all the time, said in his documentary, The Last Heart Attack in August 2011, that the China study had changed the way people all over the world eat, including Gupta himself. In fact, the China study came with this very remarkable, you can say, just sort of imbibed this remarkable principle that people who ate the most animal-based foods got the most chronic disease. People who ate the most plant-based foods were among the healthiest and tended to avoid chronic disease. These results could not be ignored, and this China study is featured in the documentary Forks Over Knives. The last graduate student of Clive McKay, who came across the writings of Ellen G. White, which revolutionized his whole study, was passed on to this individual who became one of the chief presenters in this documentary. But when you begin just to trace what happened when Clive McKay came across councils of diets and foods and ministry of healing, it was those two books that really impacted everything and began to revolutionize his medical study. And there the ripple effect began to take place one right after to the other. 
Clive McKay's last graduate student who he really influenced and motivated, T. Colin Campbell, who then went to the next step, wrote the China study, which was featured in Forks Over Knives, and had a substantial impact in this movie. T. Colin Campbell actually talks, he had an interview with Steve Prusak, and it's called Vegan Radio 2006. What a radio station, huh? Vegan Radio. He says this in this interview. I cut the interview in half, for at least part of it. He talks about his son. My son, by the way, Tom, who was trained in theater at Cornell University, was actually an inspiring actor in Chicago during, do, doing really quite well, but he wasn't making much money. He came back to work with me, and he was, on a, he was very good in communication and writing and so forth. He came back to work with me on the book. He became eventually so impressed with the time we were working together with all this information, he's now just starting medical school this month. Steve Prusak. Oh, wow. T. Colin Campbell. And he's really now intending to practice a very different kind of medicine than that which has been traditionally practiced. He and others call it lifestyle medicine. We've heard that terminology a long time ago. I might point out, incidentally, there is a religious group in this country, a Christian-based group called Seventh-day Adventists, who have really taken health very seriously. I am very impressed with what they do. They have a number of hospitals in the country, and they have a medical school, quite frankly, a good and rather old medical school in Loma Linda, California. Can you say amen to that? I've spoken to a number of these groups, and I hope that, that their message, and, that I've, and I hope that their message, and that they can get more opportunities to tell what, in fact, they know. But they have started this concept of a lifestyle medicine, and I really like it a lot. I think it can be described best, described best as getting, just getting doctors to think more about when I have a patient to work with, spend a little bit more time with them, and that's always helpful, of course. But starting to talk to them first, I cannot understand what I just put up there. Okay. Foremost, about the role of diet and lifestyle in solving our problems. And taking that as the first, first course, the first approach to resolving problems. And so Tom is not an Adventist, and I am not either. But I must tell you, I am really impressed with what that community does with respect to health. Steve Prusak, is Tom going to the school here in California? Is that the T. Colin Campbell? No. Unfortunately, there's no, almost no medical schools that really offer this kind of program. The Loma Linda School of Medicine, or School of Public Health, actually in Loma Linda, California, is probably the best at promoting this idea. And there are some medical schools, some other medical schools. Generally, it's in the schools of public health where they're beginning to think a little bit more along these lines. I mean, there are individuals at Buffalo, I know, who are certainly more interested in this, for example, and is, as it is true, and also in some other medical schools. The medical school at Buffalo, as I understand, has just formed a new department that is going to give more emphasis to that. I love how Steve Prusak ended this interview. He says, truly well, the seeds have been planted. Hopefully, the consciousness will begin to change. Hope the same for him. Have you guys ever heard of the Nathan Pritkin, Pritikin, called the Pritikin Diet, well known? He's actually founder of the Pritikin program, and he was at a time when people were really promoting the Atkins, Atkins diet. This was actually the rival of the Atkins diet, which was promoting a lot of protein, animal-based protein. Pritikin was actually coming across a lot of revolutionary things, and he came across the writings of Ellen G. White. Ellen G. White interview, and actually they had in, uh, I believe it was Ministry Magazine, they talked to him about this. Mr. Pritikin, your ideas of nutrition and health are quite similar in many respects to those of the Seventh-day Adventists. Are you aware of the Adventist health writings, many of them which are more than a century old? Now watch what he says, you mean the writings of Ellen G. White? Yes, what we call our health message is largely based on her counsel. 
I have read all her books dealing with health topics. Would you care to comment on the concept she presents, which we Adventists, unfortunately, have not observed as closely as we should? It's like when they did that Loma Linda study, I was like, well, they didn't check out the rest of the United States. <laughs> Look what he says. I feel that if you Adventists had followed the teachings in these books, you would be a much healthier group. I think that the Adventist dietary plan is really close to our nutritional recommendations. It was marvelous that this woman was able to write all that she did without any real scientific background. Of course, we believe she was inspired, said the interviewer. Watch what he says. She had to have been inspired. I don't know how she could have gotten this information herself. She certainly did a tremendous job for her time. The interviewer said, as Adventists, we believe that God is the creator of our bodies and that we have not just evolved and that our bodies are priceless and wonderful mechanisms. Only a mastermind could have planned all the intricate workings of it. He said, the body is a wonderful machine that no one understands completely. The interview goes on a little bit more. Well, I'm sure that you have associated closely with the Adventists on your staff that you have associated closely with Adventists on your staff, and you know that our dietary plan is based on the original diet given to man as recorded in Genesis. Now, this is what gets very interesting. Well, look what he says. Well, according to Genesis, man can eat animal protein. Now, watch what the interview says. True, but this was not the original diet. Meat eating was permitted only after, you're seeing a, a witnessing happening right here. <laughs> only after the flood when all the vegetation was destroyed. The original diet in the Garden of Eden given to man was the diet you have been advocating, every herb bearing seed and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. These are the grains, fruits, and nuts. You will be interested in a statement made by Mrs. White regarding the addition of meat to the diet. She stated that God permitted the post-diluvian men to eat the flesh of animals in order to shorten their wicked lives. This no doubt refers to degenerative processes of atherosclerosis caused by the high fat and protein diet. Prior to the flood, the recorded age of man was more than 900 years. That's very interesting. You know, you just, you just tell somebody, he's like, yeah, mankind lived now was 900 years plus prior to the time of flood. That's just an astounding statement to make. And so he's telling this guy this in, in this interview, Pritikin, watch what he says. That is interesting, for animal, pro, animal product, products have certainly caused degenerative diseases. Very interesting. You hear from the horse's mouth, even he said himself, yep, that's right. These, these uh, animal proteins have caused uh, diseases in mankind today. Well, what's very interesting is this. Nathan Pritikin of the Pritikin Diet said in 1979, I think if you want to get back to the originator of the proper diet, you have to go back to Ellen White. She laid the guidelines that unfortunately are not being adhered to as strictly as they should be. Now you're thinking to yourself, wow, that's, that's very interesting, but um, the, the Pritikin diet, that was just, well, you know, the 80s and stuff like that, and, you know, a lot of people have adopted it today, but well, what's the big deal? He is, he mentored one person. This individual, he mentored one person. Uh, specifically, his name was Dr. John McDougall. You ever heard of Dr. John McDougall? That was his mentor right there. That's right. He wrote the Starch Solution, Digestive Tune-Up, the new McDougall cookbook. He's also featured in some documentaries, some interviews as well. It's very interesting. In fact, Dr. John McDougall uh, talks about Pritikin as well. But here's some of the books that he wrote. He actually wrote many other books as well. And uh, he was, it's very interesting. One of his most famous books would be The Starch Solution. I actually have that book, but I haven't read it, I went, read it yet. But um, he talks about Pritikin right here, I think. There are two, only two people in my lifetime whose words of wisdom I have always e eagerly awaited, and one of them was Nathan Pritikin. During my final year at internal, 
medicine, resident, uh, medicine, res, medicine residency at the University of Hawaii in 1978, I was given a set of audio tape lectures. I felt a sense of relief as I listened and realized that someone else had come to similar conclusions to those I have reached during my time as a sugar plantation daughter, doctor on the big island of Hawaii between 1973 and 1976. It goes on a little bit more. I greatly regret Pritikin's untimely death in 1985 at the age of 69. The world would have been a better place if he had survived another decade or two. For one, Dr. Atkins' new diet revolution would have never been as big as it did in the 2000s. The world would have never, been heard, would have never heard of the most popular diets these days, the low-carb paleo diets. His wisdom and strength would have stopped this nutritional nonsense before it ever got started. We would not be suffering the current U.S. financial fiasco caused in large part by the worst healthcare system crisis ever known. People in the United States would not be known as they are today for being less healthy, having more chronic disease and disability, and dying at a younger age than people living in wealthy nations. And you begin to see how strong these comments make. In fact, Dr. McDougall begins to talk in other quotations to how inspiring uh, Pritikin was to his own work as well. Very interesting. Dr. McDougall is featured in some of those food documentaries as well. You've heard of Dr. Oz as well and other individuals. You've heard of this book called Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead? This individual actually had two uh, individuals who were part of his inspiration. Dr. Joel Furman, who's also featured in there. Anybody know who that last guy is, that buff old man? Jack LaLanne. That's right. You want to know something very interesting? Dr. Joel Furman, if you read many of his studies, he's constantly referencing Seventh-day Adventists. He gets much of his diet, um, you can say diet advice from Seventh-day Adventist studies over and over and over again. And he's featured in that book, or that movie, Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. You want to know what else is very interesting? Doctor, uh, do you guys know Jack LaLanne, who was a chiropractor? Mother was a Seventh-day Adventist. You know how I know this? The pastor who I worked and just recently retired, his mother went to his church in Santa Barbara. And so I asked my, my former senior pastor, I said, well, did he ever show up to church? He said he would show up once in a while. He'd always sit with his mom, but his mom was very faithful to come every single Sabbath. But what is also very interesting, to take it a step further, okay, Dr. Uh, Jack Lane was somebody who actually had gone, who had learned about health from, you know, his mom, although he did not himself confess to be a Seventh-day Adventist, he had that sort of influence that helped propel him into studying more about health. And at age 15, he actually went to a seminar by Dr. Uh, Paul Bragg, who came out with the Bragg's amino acids. But what is also interesting is Paul Bragg actually has, if you go onto the Bragg, Bragg website, B-R-G-G, you find the maker of this particular delightful item. Does anybody know what that is? That is a garden burger. And the maker of the Garden Burger was a guy by the name of Paul Wenner. This individual was somebody who, with Paul Bragg, which is also part of the inspiration for Jack Lane, he actually came up with the Garden Burger. He had a health restaurant, never a Seventh-day Adventist. You go onto Paul Bragg's website, and uh, Paul Wenner talks about his sort of how he came across these things. Look what he says right here. Paul Wenner. I really haven't had any health problems since I was 17. When I was about 16 or 17, I started reading books on health and nutrition like Paul Bragg's The Miracle of Fasting and Ellen B. White. 
That's actually how he says it on his website. Because you can see just like the, he came across these writings. We're so used to saying Ellen G. White, Ellen G. White. But I just want you guys to see that's how she says on the website, Ellen B. White, a writer for the Adventist church. This is no other Ellen B. White, okay? This is talking about Ellen G. White. He came across her writings and he started realizing there was a real connection between what you put in your mouth and what you do not put in your mouth between your health and how you felt. So I immediately changed everything about my diet. We have the Garden Burger today because of Ellen G. White. <laughs> it's connected, ladies and gentlemen, over and over again. In fact, this is very interesting. Several news articles about Seventh-day Adventists, and they write positive about Ellen G. White, who wrote scores of books for her fellow Adventists, summarizing the eight laws of health in the 1860s. And many mainstream Christian denominations are losing members of the United States. Adventists are growing steadily, partly because of their emphasis on wellness. Here's what another... Um, uh, website says, I believe this is National Geographic, I think this is, or this might be um, Huffington Post, talks about what Ellen White says who helped shape the early church. Grain, fruits, nuts, and vegetables constitute the diet chosen for us by our creator, wrote Ellen White, an early figure who helped shape the Adventist church. Very interesting. You begin to see some of the benefits. This just happened, I believe, in 2012. Ellen G. White was actually honored in Brazil. A pioneer co-founder of the Seventh-day Adventist movement has been memorialized at Sao Paulo, Brazil, as her image joined a gallery of portraits at the Open University of the Environment and Culture of Peace, which is part of the city of Sao Paulo. I'm not saying that correctly, but this is the reason why. A portrait of Ellen G. White, a pioneer co-founder of the Seventh-day Adventist movement, is added to the gallery of notable reformers at the Open University of the Environment and Culture Peace at Sao Paulo, Brazil. The gallery commemorates those whose work had contributed to the good of society, particularly in the areas of sustainable development and peace, as well as social justice and welfare. This is a secular institution. Among the notables commemorated, there is a Brazilian abolition, ab Abolitionist, I am so, when I speak super fast, I just cannot pronounce most words. And I'm not going to say that name. In a December of 20, 2012 ceremony held at Municipal Court, uh, School of Astrophysics in Ibirapura Park in Sao Paulo, the history, mission, and commitment of Ellen White's health principles were remembered. During the ceremony, the directory, director of the National Center of Memory in Brazil, Adventist Renato Stencil, shared aspects of the biography and work of Ellen White. He said much of White's writings concerned health principles. It's very interesting. At the very end of this, he hands everybody out what's called the science film, just another word for ministry of healing, to everybody at that Brazil publishing house. Here you have a woman who is a Seventh-day Adventist pioneer being honored as secular institution because of how much she impacted health, recognized not just by Adventists, but by the secular world. Anybody ever heard of something called Operation White Coat? Some of you guys may be too young to hear about Operation White Coat. This was before my time. You want to know how I came across this? Let me just share this with you. This is very interesting. So I came across this book. And this book I ordered from Amazon. I'm not going to tell you the title of this book, but it was simply about government documents being declassified. It's completely legal. So there's nothing illegal about this. I thought this would be just something interesting to look at. Government documents declassified. Recent governments. So I get that book, right? I don't ever pick it up. It's just laying on my counter, OK? And one day I was just walking by and I was just like, oh, I should just check this book out. Got a little free time. And I opened up and several governments were, these were government documents that were recently declassified. I opened up in the middle and I'm reading and one of them mentions Seventh-day Adventist. Right when I opened up and I'm like, someone's watching me. 
this is so strange. No joke. I just opened this book up, and right there, and it was talking about Seventh-day Adventists. The Seventh-day Adventists are not mentioned anywhere else in the book, and I opened up, I was, this is so strange. This is where it gets really crazy. What was being declassified was experiments that were being done during World War II on people. And there were some declassified documents that were being released about certain kinds of human experiments that were being done. And what most young Adventists don't know about was during World War II, Seventh-day Adventists, some of them, many of them, you know, obviously drafted, some of them volunteered to actually be tested by um, the government concerning diseases. Now you're saying, well, what's the big deal? You're going to find out what the big deal is. The first task of the scientists was to find people willing to be infected by pathogens that could make them very sick. They found them in the followers of the Seventh Adventist faith. <laughs> now wait a second, you're going to see why Seventh Adventists were chosen. Although willing to serve their country when drafted, the Adventists refused to bear arms. As a result, many of them became medics. Now the U.S. was offering recruits an opportunity to help in a different manner, to volunteer for a biological test as a way of satisfying their military obligations. When contacted in late 1954, the Adventist hierarchy readily agreed to this plan, although there's some other questionable things about that. For Camp Dietrich scientists, church members, now watch this, were a model test population since most of them were in excellent health and they neither drank, smoked, or used caffeine. So they said, we got a test on a group of people. Let's find some very healthy people within the army. And you know who they found? Seventh-day Adventists. They don't drink. They don't smoke. They, they're really healthy. We're going to test our diseases upon them. And sure enough, I believe it was almost 3,000 or almost 2,500 Seventh-day Adventists were actually tested in something called Operation White Coats. In fact, if you go to your church today, you may find elderly people who participated in this very um, procedure. Or, and they're called, there's just a nickname, they're called white coats. You go to an old person, say somebody in the army, and you say, were you a white coat? And they will actually, some of them will actually, if they are, they'll tell you the story of what happened. Many of them did not realize what was happening. Things were going on. They were being tested on. They were being drugged. Diseases, actually, ladies and gentlemen, we don't have certain diseases today because of the testing that was done on these Seventh-day Adventists. And much of the world doesn't even know about it. In fact, watch what one doctor says right here. All right, let's take a good look at some of these things that were being tested on them. By the way, and some of these are not, so there are some that are not mentioned. Queensland fever, uh, tularemia, vaccines were developed. Um, there are some other diseases. And by the way, when I was talking to somebody in my church, she said her uncle was actually tested on with rabbit fever. We, we essentially don't have rabbit fever being a problem today because of the tests that were done on Seventh-day Adventists. Because they were so healthy, they were able to take these tests. And of course, some of them, reaped, they, they, were, they, they faced the consequences of it. Some of them never fully recovered. Some of them still are disabled and crippled because of those diseases, and nobody recognizes it. In fact, watch what this is right here. This is Adventist tomorrow wrote this uh, article. Approximately 2,300 Seventh-day Adventist Army veterans served as white coat volunteers. Now watch what this doctor says right here. The effects of that program have been felt from the remote jungles of Latin America to the desert sands of the Middle East to the reaches of outer space. And you're thinking, 
what? I said the same thing, what? You begin to recognize the impact Operation White Coat actually had upon the world. And not just talking about biological weaponry, okay? But you're talking about vaccines that were developed and medications that were developed that have stopped many diseases today because of the tests that took place during World War II in Operation White Coat. And there are many old Adventists who have this knowledge, who have this understanding, who have this experience, who went through it. Said doctors in the book, For God and Country, Operation White Coat, 1954 to 1973. But ladies and gentlemen, you begin to recognize why Seventh-day Adventists were chosen. Because they were healthy, they didn't drink, nor smoke, and that partly in due to the ministry of Ellen G. White, where God gave her those health visions. We begin to re recognize, directly or indirectly, Ellen White has been part of many health revolutions today. Today. You've heard of the Blue Zone, right? Well-known book that came out, right? And he talked about the longest living people. He also featured on Dr. Oz and with Oprah as well. And he talked about the three longest living people group. And Huffington Post talks about Seventh-day Adventists. Average life expectancy of 89, about a decade longer than the average American. This is so remarkable because here we begin to see that Seventh-day Adventists, that God is really blessing those who follow this movement. Now, I understand because of sin, sometimes you do all the right things, you have the right diet, and things still don't work out. But God still wants us to be faithful to him. And as we're faithful to him, we reap in a general sense all the blessings that God can give based upon um, the context of our bodies and circumstances. National Geographic talked about that group in Loma Linda, seven to ten years longer. And now this has really propelled a lot of people to start using Seventh-day studies, secular groups, non-Adventist groups, even some Christian groups that are going out. In fact, one day I was just going through and we were passing out gloves on Halloween night, passing out gloves with a group of people. I was with my friend, and uh, we, we were coming down. We are about to walk to the car, and I had two glow left, and there was this group of people. They had this big old barbecue and stuff like that. I just didn't want to be social. I was like, okay, let's go to the car. And I saw that glow, and I was like, all right, man, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take this glow, and I want you to pass it out to them. And he's like, well, why don't you pass it out? I said, I don't want to pass it. I said, you pass it out. I said, this is for your ministry development. <laughs> and I was just wanting to go to the car. I was tired walking. And he's like, no, you need to do it. And I thought, okay, he's younger than me. I need to do it. So I started walking over to the guy. And it's always awkward when you have a six-foot-tall Indian man walking into a group of white people. So I was walking there, and I just walked up, and I'm like, hey, how you guys doing? They're like, can we help you? And I was like, yeah, we're just uh, passing out these glows and stuff like that. And this one guy walks up to me. He's a really big guy. He takes the glow. He's like, what's this? I said, this is really cool. It's about health and how you can prove your health. And he goes, do you believe in this? I go, absolutely. I said, it's even from the Bible. He says, it's from the Bible? I go, yeah, it's about health and stuff. I said, check it out. It's got some more information on the back. You can get some more and more materials. He said, this is interesting. I go, why is that? He's like, I'm actually a pastor of this church. This is a church right here. We're having an outing here on Halloween. And he says, I've dedicated a sermon series to health starting this month, next coming month. And so it's very unusual. And I said, brother, it's not coincidence. It's providence. And I said, you need to check it out. There's more in there. I said, keep on this track. Ladies and gentlemen, this, this message is so powerful. A few years ago, when you used to present the health message in our evangelistic series, the number one complaint when people say, oh, I don't believe in clean and unclean meats. I don't believe in all that dietary restrictions. Now, you hardly get those objections. The reason why? Because most people can see very clearly 
the result of following the Bible when it comes to health. People don't argue that point like they used to. 20, 30 years ago, oh, we don't believe in the unclean, unclean meats restriction. We don't believe in that law. But now you present the health presentation. Everyone absolutely loves it because they know science has backed this up. And this is so remarkable. We have a beautiful way of really connecting with people. And you know what I love to say to people? And I really work this angle. I work it so much. I'll go up to people and I'll be like, I'll pass them out some flyers. I'm saying, hey, we're having a big old health fair. And they're like, oh, that's good. I said, do you want to know who the longest living people on earth are? <laughs> they're like, who? Seventh-day Adventists. They live, they are the longest living people on earth. You want to find out how you can live the longest? Go check out what they got going on. I work that. I work it. And you need to work it too, okay? Because people want to know how they can live long, how they can be healthy, how they can be just really, really just have good health. And this is the time that people are open to this. Anytime I go to Jamba Juice, I pass out health pamphlets, or I'm just talking to people. People want to know about health. They want to be healthy. It's the talk of the town. Like I said, people are talking about juicing and stuff like that. They're talking about dying and running and stuff. Look, we got that information. Even better, we can present it to them. And as we present to them, it's a right arm to bring them in. In fact, we are told that as we open up vegetarian restaurants, as we open up uh, Jordan, these um, cooking schools, she says, thinking men will come to these and they will see all these things that are taking place and then they will start asking questions. And when they see, she talks about your observance of the Sabbath, they will ask questions about the Sabbath as well. These things are super important for us, like never before. We're told in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 13, and the Lord will make you the what? Head and not the what? Tail. You shall be above only and not be beneath if you heed the what? Commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. God says, I will make you the head. I will be, give you the most amount of advantages. I will make you the top for the very purpose of bringing other people into the faith. Can you say amen to that? These are the times that God is calling us to be faithful, to take a good look at those writings. Take a good look at them and clearly experiment with those writings. I always challenge people. I'm always saying this to people. Experiment with those writings. If she says something to do, try it out and see what will be the result. Give it a shot and you will reap the benefits of this. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's ever a time we need to really start examining those writings when it comes to health, and by the way, Seventh-day Adventism is less becoming a spiritual term, it's now becoming more of a medical term. It's now becoming a medical term. Medical term. You hear about the word Seventh-day Adventist? Oh yes, those people, uh, the, the vegetarians, right? You know, you hear about that. It's fast becoming recognized by the health community, and it's no longer just a religious group. It's now becoming a sort of a, a, a healthy club, you could say, right? People want to be a part, and they say, well, what are they doing? And you can start sharing these things. This is a time where you need to work it, and you need to share what we got. Amen? God wants us to be faithful. God wants us to be faithful, because these are the times we're living in. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much. And Lord, I know again, we just scratched the surface. There's so much that could have been shared, but God, we just pray that we'd be faithful with what we have heard. Lord, we just pray that as we go out into the world and we share books about health, and we talk about health, and God, we just pray that all these things would be for one purpose, to leading people closer to you. This is our desire, Lord. Bless each person here today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.